year 2900 BC. Who killed 78 people at once and why this mass death is important for human history? In the summer of 2018, archaeologists discovered a mass grave in a prehistoric 5,000-year-old passage tomb near Falbugden in western Sweden. All those buried died at the same time. There were no visible damages to the bones, not a single scratch. In those days, obviously anyone could be killed, but whatever weapon the murderer used, stick, sword, club, knife, spear, arrow, anything, would leave marks on the bones. Even if by some miracle someone was killed in such a way that the knife blade passed right between the ribs and didn't even scratch them, it would be impossible to repeat such a coincidence 78 times. So it was definitely not a violent death, not a war, not a gang attack, not a serial murder. What then? Mass poisoning? Toxicological testing revealed no traces of toxins in the bones, at least those that could kill so many people at once. As it turned out, these deaths were a manifestation of a much larger event in the history of medicine, a catastrophe that changed the course of human history. This is Labora Verum. My name is Ed Kanalosh. Hi. In the days when these 78 people were buried, 5,000 years ago, the world was populated very unevenly. The vast majority of all humans lived in the Fertile Crescent area, it is a fairly narrow strip of land in the Middle East from modern Israel north to Turkey and from there east through the regions of Syria and Iraq to the Persian Gulf. Scandinavia was practically uninhabited. Only here and there were occasional tiny villages of people who belonged to so-called funnel beaker culture. These people didn't know how to make clay vessels in one go, so assembled them from two parts, the bottom and the neck that look like a watering can, hence the name. The number of 78 dead was huge, huge for those people. That's the population of several villages. Such a number of dead spoke of some kind of a catastrophe. So the scientists conducted a DNA study of the teeth of one of the buried, a 20-year-old woman. And inside her tooth, in the canal, they found the remains of the plague bacillus. A DNA study was conducted on the teeth of another one of the buried. Traces of the plague bacillus were found in the canals of his teeth as well. So, it really was an epidemic of plague, the oldest epidemic known to us. The fact that the plague bacillus settled inside the tooth where the pulp is located in a living person indicated a severe course of the disease. The bacteria in these people did not just live in the bubos or lungs, they circulated in the blood. Now this condition is called sepsis. Plague itself is one of the most serious infections that a person can contract, but plague sepsis is something special. It is a killer who doesn't spare anyone. It acts quickly and efficiently, leaving no one alive. The genetic diversity of this specific microorganism was determined. It was ancient, more ancient than we deal with today. It separated from the general genetic tree of the plague bacillus about 5,500 years ago in the foothills of mountains Altai, reached Falbugden, and, it seems, soon disappeared. Altai is a mountain range in Central and East Asia where Mongolia, China, Siberia and Kazakhstan meet. If we were talking about this region, cases of plague there would not be surprising. 
We also wouldn't be surprised if the incident happened today. Airliners can deliver any infection from anywhere in the world to any other place in the world in a few hours. But how could the plague get from Altai to Sweden in the world as it used to be 5,000 years ago? That is what made scientists not believe their eyes. The causative agent of this disease lives in the body of a steppe rodent. In Eurasia, the natural habitat of the plague at that time was the territory from modern China to the Caspian Sea. But you understand, the steppes lie all the way there, and Sweden is right here, 5,000 kilometers from each other, or if you prefer, 3,000 miles. In the territory where steppe rodents live, plague can occur anywhere and anytime. But outside that territory, it can only survive in human environment, either by directly jumping from one person to another or by making a short intermediate stop in fleas and domestic rodents. Also, plague cannot travel in a silent mode for long. It can only spread by causing the manifested disease. An adult flea can live no longer than three months. It's by that time that the plague must go from the flea to a human, otherwise the disease will simply disappear. So, outside of the territory where steppe rodents live, the plague spreads only with humans and spreads as the full-scale disease, never hiding for more than several months. Or just dies out, until the next steppe rodent infects someone. But now we know this for a fact, the plague did travel from Altai to Scandinavia 5000 years ago. How? The appearance of first states will make it possible to develop stable trade routes from one region to another. But first, we are talking about the distant future, and second, even then, the trade routes will be, at best, several hundred miles long. Even at the time of Mesopotamia, Greek city-states and ancient Egypt, well, even, even at the time of Rome, we do not know any trade routes as long as from Asia to modern-day Sweden. Still, year 2900 BC is the time when none of the things that we were told about in school history lessons had yet happened. The history hasn't yet begun. As simple as that. Okay, if not trade, then maybe mass migration. Could the tribes that moved to new places carry the infection? It's interesting that at the time of the death of those 78 people, the mass migration that began three and a half thousand years before Falbukden was still going on. People still continued spreading through the vast forest that was Europe at that time. They were looking for clearings because they brought with them a new technology, agriculture. That migration was very slow. It took several thousand years to reach the lands of modern Sweden. It's one kilometer a year, less than a mile a year. Such slowness was not without a reason. There were very few people, simply not enough to move to new places. Say a group of people settled in a new place. They had children, their children had children on their own, and so on. At some point, there were more people than that village could support. The most hungry formed a group of travelers, left their relatives in the old village and moved to a new place. That's how it worked. No one wanted to travel for the sake of traveling or move for the sake of moving. 
The first groups moved from today's Turkey to the Greek islands 8.7 thousand years ago, crossed the sea to mainland Greece 8.4 thousand years ago, traveled from the Balkans to today's Italy and Romania around 8 thousand years ago, reached Germany, France and Spain around 7.5 thousand years ago, and eventually landed in the British Isles and in Scandinavia 6 thousand years ago. Once again, for clarity, we are talking about the migration of farmers, people who knew how to grow crops. There were already hunters in Europe, but there were even fewer of them, literally a handful, and they couldn't compete with the arriving farmers. So, could these people, despite their slowness, breed the plague with them to Falbukten? No, the plague cannot travel with people for 2.7 thousand years. The bacillus dies within a few weeks after a person is infected. It literally perishes. Why? Either the patient recovers, which means the patient's body kills all the plague microbes within it, or, which is much more common, the patient dies and the bacillus dies with the patient too. The plague bacillus can only survive if it infects a healthy person or animal before the previously infected person or animal dies or recovers. However, when people live in small and scattered groups, as in Europe in those prehistoric times, all the people in the group die, and there is no one around to infect. Europeans of that time lived in villages located tens of miles apart and accommodating 50 to 100 people. So, in just several weeks, the infected village dies out along with all the plague bacilli. And this means the complete end of the infection. Yes, it may happen that some villagers will travel and bring the plague with them, but this would only mean that the infection would spread to several villages and then the whole story will repeat itself on a bit larger scale. The population of all infected villages will die out and this will be the end of the plague. By the way, those few who do recover not only kill all plague microbes in their bodies, but also develop strong immunity, so plague cannot jump on these people again. These people will never get plague again and will never bring plague with them to others. Therefore, when those infected die or recover, plague disappears. In nature, the plague bacillus persists in steppe rodents and spreads among them along with fleas. That is why, throughout history, the plague always came to Europe from the Asian steppes. The spread of the epidemic in the steppes is more or less clear. Rodents are everywhere in the steppes and they accordingly spread diseases everywhere in the steppes. The nomads who inhabited the steppes were those who got ill. These nomads added to the mobility of the infection because they were <coughs> nomads. The spread of the epidemic in the forests of Europe could have happened through the travel of hunters and shamans. Not only that, people of the Falbugden culture had a habit of gathering in sacred places. Actually, the appearance of an incomprehensible, terrible disease could become a reason for meetings of representatives of villages of some territorial association. After all the necessary rituals and speeches, they returned to their homes and brought infection in their bodies and infected rats, mice and fleas on them. In the right situation, thanks to a few coincidences, the plague could spread across European forests from today's Poland to today's Sweden in a matter of months, just fast enough for the plague not to disappear on its own. But how did the infection spread from the steppe nomads to forest dwellers? 
if you measure the distance from the border of the endemic zone of the plague to the border of European forests, it is 2.3 thousand kilometers or 1.4 thousand miles. How did the plague bacillus cross this distance? And not only the distance, but also the widest rivers of the continent and quite high mountains. We are looking for a country with very dense population or a set of very mobile human groups in exactly that geography between the Caspian Sea and the Carpathian Mountains. And it turns out that the connection did exist. This space was the most densely populated part of Europe at that time. It's likely that it was actually the most populated area on the entire planet outside of the Fertile Crescent. The civilization is called Tripilia, or a more complicated name, Cucuteni Tripilia Archaeological Culture. Let's call it Tripilia for simplicity. That's Tripilla, Tripilla. Tripilia lay on the territories of present-day Ukraine, Moldova, and Romania between River Dnipir and River Dniester and Carpathian Mountains. The people of Tripilia lived in cities. Archaeologists call these settlements giant proto-cities. The difference from cities in the literal sense of the word is that the inhabitants were still primarily engaged in agriculture. Otherwise, those settlements looked, behaved and <laughs> smelled like cities. These were not just the first cities in Europe, they were the first cities in the world outside of the Fertile Crescent. Some of such cities had an area of more than 200 hectares, 500 acres, consisted of 3,000 houses, usually, believe it or not, two-story buildings, were divided into streets and squares and housed 10 to 20,000 people. In other words, even an average city of Tripilia was larger than, say, London in the time of William the Conqueror or Paris in the time of Hugh Capet. The people of Tripilia were so much more developed than the tribes around them that Tripilians inevitably had to feel like an island of civilization in the ocean of wild lands. Tripilia cities seem to have been constantly at war with each other, just as ancient Greek cities two, three thousand years later. Therefore, for the purpose of military security, cities were built very densely. The houses were tightly pressed against each other, creating the system of walls. For the same reason, cattle was kept in the same houses where people lived. Cattle lived on the first floor, people on the second. All this meant unsanitary conditions, incredibly unsanitary by our standards, and an abundance of rats and mice, and fleas everywhere. The people of Tripilia also traded a lot, both among themselves and with their neighbors. By the standards of today's global economy, their trade appears disorganized, sporadic and chaotic, but by the standards of the time, it was a very mature industry. Chipilia merchants still didn't have trade routes longer than several hundred miles, but it was enough to cross the steppes of nomads and reach the Caucasus. At the other end of the universe, merchants crossed the Carpathians. Therefore, no doubts that the plague epidemic could come to Tripilia from steppe, spread very quickly through the network of densely populated cities and reach the forest of Europe. A bit a controversial thought from me. The plague was not a disaster for the inhabitants of Europe at that time. Remember that Europe was one huge forest with inconspicuous specks of tiny villages dozens of miles apart. 
Of course, the plague was a disaster for the individual settlements, but not for the final beaker culture as a whole. The epidemic could not cover all the territory. Only a small portion of villages was impacted. The effect of the epidemic on the nomads was very similar. Some groups were destroyed, but the epidemic could not cover all the territory. The steppe people lived too scattered. By the way, some of those steppe people who survived that epidemic are ancestors of Indo-Europeans, that is, the ancestors of most of the people in today's Europe, India, both Americas, etc. My own nomadic ancestors also survived, which I think is a good news. But for Tripilia, that plague was a catastrophe of apocalyptic proportions. Due to the overpopulation of their settlements and prevailing unsanitary conditions, the disease had to cover every city in a flash. And due to close trade ties and constant wars, it had to move from one city to another just as quickly. There was no medicine in principle. No one understood what kind of disease it was, how it progressed and what to expect from it. And no one knew what a disease was in general, any disease. Of course, no one has ever heard of quarantine. The Tripilia cities were to perish one after another in just a few weeks, falling like dominoes. The death rate from the plague is huge. In the pre-antibiotic era, 96% of patients died from the bubonic form and almost 100% from the pulmonary form. Tripilia must have been fully destroyed, crushed, devastated. As in any plague infection, there were several survivors. And also, there were people who were outside of the cities at that time, for example merchants and warriors, and they survived too. But the world was to look completely different for the survivors after the epidemic. It was not Tripilia anymore. The survivors were not able to remain Tripilians. How would they be able to gather the necessary amount of human and material resources, not to mention the will and energy, to rebuild at least one city? Could there still be masters among them who would continue to create miracles of Tripilian art and technology? And did anyone care about those miracles anymore? Did those who survived have the strength and time for Tripilian rituals in all their complexity? For everything that we call Tripilia? Most likely, all their efforts were aimed at survival and not at reproducing the pre-epidemic Tripilian life in its splendor. So, in fact, those people ceased to be Tripilians. From the point of view of archaeology, at this moment, the Tripilian civilization disappeared. The demise of the Tripilian civilization at that time, like the demise of other archaeological cultures nearby, is well known and well documented. This phenomenon even has its own name, Neolithic Decline. Until now, archaeologists explain this decline exclusively due to the influence of climate. For most of history of Tripilia, which is 3000 years, the people of Tripilia lived in conditions of global warming. These were the hottest millennia since the Ice Age, including the present day. The sea level was 3 meters higher than today. There were oysters near the shores of modern Denmark and lions, ordinary African lions in Ukraine. Rains gave an incredible, from our point of view, amount of water. The rivers were many times deeper and wider than today. 
generation after generation that Repelians didn't see snow or saw it only occasionally. Then, the climate has become colder, more similar to the modern one. The inhabitants of Mesopotamia learned to survive in new conditions with the help of irrigation. The inhabitants of the banks of the Nile with the help of river floods. But the Neolithic people of Europe, primarily the Trapelians, didn't find ways to adapt. Now, it turns out, they were declined their chance to adapt. The plague hit in the middle of the long period of suffering caused by the climate change. The blow of the plague destroyed the civilizational potential of Europe for many millennia and completely concentrated the development of mankind in a small area from the Tigris River to the Nile River. Well, in order to confirm these conclusions, it's necessary to find traces of the plague bacillus in the teeth of Trepelians. But there is a setback. Archaeologists do not know Trepelian burial grounds. It is possible that the people of Trepelia, like today's Hindus, burned their dead and threw the ashes into the water. But of course, it is also possible that we simply haven't found their graveyards yet. Let us remember that we are talking about the territory of today's Ukraine. You would agree, no one will engage in archaeological excavations under Russian missile fire. Well, that's all for today about the investigation into the mysterious mass death of prehistoric people in Sweden. This death might be a sign of a dramatic civilizational catastrophe that changed the development of mankind. And the first pandemic that happened 5,000 years ago and covered vast territories from the Altai Mountains to Sweden. If you would like to know more, I would recommend to read Callaway's article in Nature. You can find a detailed list of references along with the main points of this story and many other stories in our Facebook page. It was at Kenelosh, Labora Verum. Thank you. Cheers.